And that never gets old, does it? That refrain, that just over and over, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Hey, we're glad you're here at church. Hope you're doing well. If you've got your Bibles, grab them. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. We're in week five of an eight-week series. Um, you can either get your device out or and, and download the app that we have. I think there's a Bible there. And, uh, or, um, and I know we put the notes, we put the text in the notes, but I'd love for you to grab a Bible. There's a Bible that you can have that's in the seat back right in front of you. This is our gift to you, okay? Because if you've got a Bible at home, looks like Shakespeare wrote it. He didn't write it, but... If your Bible at home is like thee before thine, except after thou. Or if you hadn't opened it in so long, the zipper got stuck. You know, some of you, your mom gave you one with a zipper, and now it's stuck, and you can't get back into it. Take this one and take it home. It's our gift to you. We want you to write in it and underline it and study it. Um, if you've got six or seven of our gifts, bring some of them back. <laughs> if you would like a leather-bound Bible, just go to our Lost and Found, and if you don't mind somebody else's name being engraved on it, you can have that one, okay? But... At this point, if you don't have a Bible, it's because you don't want one. So we want you to have one. So what we're going to talk about today is if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, what does your life look like? Okay? And, and, and so I've got to be a little bit careful there. Um, but because here's the thing. What I've been trying to do is walk you through Ephesians. I promised the men, husbands particularly, if you would stick with me for eight weeks in Ephesians, you'd be so rooted in Ephesians, you could answer all of your wife's Bible questions in Ephesians, and then you could be the spiritual leader and, and you know, make her feel better. And so... What we did is we're running through big chunks of Scripture in, in just like one week at a time. So today we're doing 30, 40 verses, all right? So it's long. It's going to take me forever. But here's the thing. I just want you to know like Ephesians 1 is about God chose you. That's it. If, if that's all you get, then you got it. Ephesians 1 is God chose you. And then Ephesians 2, it's by grace that you've been saved. It is not anything that you've done. It's just grace. And then the second half of 2 is about peace, that Jesus came and made peace between us and him and us and each other. And so the first three chapters of, of Ephesians is just the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. The gospel from God's point of view, he chose you. The gospel from you, your point of view, it's by grace that you've been saved. You were dead, now you've been made alive. Um, the peace that, that we have with Christ and with one another. And then, and then it starts talking about the church, the gospel through the church. That's chapter 3. And then in chapter 4, it shifts gears. And it says, okay, the first three chapters are about the gospel, but... Therefore, since God saved you and sent his son to die for you, and it's by grace that you've been saved and, and not by work so that none of us can brag about it, then it changes the way you live. And so last week, we talked about the implications of the gospel. And if you are a, a follower of Jesus Christ, then you need to be united together in a church, in his local body. And we talked last week about if you are ready to become um, not just a receiver of the mission, visions, and values of our church, and in, and in Jacksonville, we know being a receiver is very important, right? We need receivers, but... But being a receiver is okay. You can be a receiver as long as you want to. But when you're ready to go from being a receiver of this place, being a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus, and you're ready to take a step and say, you know what? I want to help make sure this place always continues to be a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus. Then you, you're ready for covenant membership. So last week we talked about covenant membership. Now, what we're going to talk about this week is we're going to talk about when the implications of the gospel in your personal in your personal life. If you've ever heard Christians use the, use the phrase, your walk, like your walk with Jesus, how's your walk? It, they get it from the text that we're going to look at today. And so what I've got to be careful of, though, is this, is when we get to verse 25, the Apostle Paul is going to go through some specific implications of you surrendering your life to Jesus Christ and how it impacts what you do, where you go, what you say, who you hang out with, all of those kinds of things. And if you're not careful, you'll hear that your activity determines whether you're a Christian or not. That is not the gospel. The theme of Ephesians is its identity. Christianity is not about activity. It's about identity. 
And so if you're in Christ, if you're actually in Christ and Christ is in you, then your activity begins to change. Now, what's going to happen to every single one of us in the room is that when you hear Ephesians 2, 8, that it's by grace that you've been saved, um, not by works, not anything you've done so that none of us can brag about it. What you're going to hear is, is that we typically lean in one of two areas, okay? We either lean towards license or legalism. So I didn't grow up in church. I kind of consider that God's grace, but um, I'm glad we're all raising our kids in church because I want them to hear the gospel. Because what I would hear when I would attend a church is basically this message. God is good. You are bad. Try harder. See you next week. That's what I heard over, over, over. God's good. You're bad. So don't lie. God's good. You're bad. Quit cussing. You know, God's good. You're bad. Try harder. And I would try really hard. I would legitimately try. I would try very hard. I took it very seriously. And it lasted well into Monday, well into Monday, deep into Monday. Tried. And then I would screw up and I'd go, oh, probably shouldn't say screw because I suck. Oh, there you go. There's two right there. I can't say screw or suck right there in the thing. I guess I got to go back. So that's what I would do. It's not the gospel. Okay. It's just not the gospel. Or the other thing, so I, I would hear that at our little Baptist churches that we would attend. Nothing against Baptists. I used to be one, okay? I guess I still am. I got ordained in the Southern Baptist. Any recovering Baptists in the room, all right? See, they won't raise their hands because the deacons will kick them out because they think they're charismatic. All right, so. So then the other thing was I'd go to camp. I'd go to camp. That's where I got saved. That's where I met Jesus. That's where I bumped into him, put my life under his authority. And at camp and in places like FCA and, and great parachurch organizations that didn't want to get bogged down in kind of churchy, religious, southern stuff, they really were pushing, pushing, pushing. All you got to do to be saved is surrender your life to Jesus. But said they didn't use those words. They said, all you got to do is pray this prayer and you get to go to heaven. Well, who doesn't want that? And so it, it kind of went the other way. And then, so everybody at camp, me and all my buddies said, well, I'd rather go to heaven than hell. Who wouldn't want to do that? What do I got to do? Pray a prayer. All right, I pray it. Dear God, Jesus, would you please come into my heart, which is terrible theology. You're not the boss. You don't get to tell him what to do. But anyway, so I surrendered my life to Jesus. And then, and then I found this verse in 1 John 1, 9, see, and and it says, if you will confess your sin, then he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And I thought, ha ha, I have found the loophole. Okay. See, Jesus, you didn't know we were going to make it all the way to the end of the book and get to the appendix and find out that we can do anything we want to do and then just bring it to you, confess our sin. And you have to, because it's in your book that you have to forgive us our sin. And so the good church kids, of which I wasn't, the good church kids would go every Wednesday night to youth group and they would fill up their sin bucket all week and then they would come and quote 1 John 1, 1.9, dump out their sin bucket and then go out, out and just, you know, fill it all back up. I didn't go to church that much, so my bucket was like a dump truck. So once a year, I'd back that thing up, beep, 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 at camp and then dump it all. The last night at camp, got to do it on the last night. Okay, everybody's screaming and, and, and crying and singing Kumbaya and it was very moving, all right? And then I would, I would just recommit my life to Christ over and over. And I've become a Christian about 42 times in my life, okay? Theologically impossible, but I did it every summer. And so I would do it on the way there. And then I would do it when we got there. And I would, you know, I've, I've nailed stuff to crosses and I've burned notes and I've thrown rocks in water and I've everything you could do just in case, just in case the previous 41 didn't take. I wanted to make sure that if Jesus came back and I was at a rated R movie, I wasn't excluded from heaven, I would get to go anyway because of that night at camp. So here's the danger. Here's the danger. Is that you can go one of two ways. You can go to, if I don't obey the list, God doesn't love me. That's not the gospel. The other way you can go is like to this easy believism. Oh, since Jesus died on the cross and saved me, I can do whatever I want. Mm. If you do that, he might not be Lord of your life. If you try to cheapen his grace... It's just evidence that we haven't actually experienced his grace. So what he's going to do here, what the Apostle Paul is going to do, 
while he's writing to this church in Ephesus, after he has established the gospels and the gospel in chapter one, two, and three, and then last week he talked about the implications of the gospel in your life in the church. Now he's going to talk about the implications of the gospel in our own individual lives. That when you surrendered your life to Jesus, you were set apart as holy. All right, you were holy. But now he wants that holiness by position to actually manifest itself in your life in the way we walk and talk and treat other people and treat God. So that's, that, that's kind of the setup. Let's jump into chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 17. He says, now, now this I say and testify in the Lord. There's that phrase again. It's an identity phrase, right? So again, Paul is saying it's not about activity, it's about identity, That your activity doesn't drive your identity, but your activity is evidence of your identity. So, now, this I say to testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk or live. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. In other words, now that you, if you say you're a Christian, if you've surrendered your life to Christ, if Jesus is your Lord, then you shouldn't live like you used to live when you said that he wasn't your Lord. So it's different. Your life should look different. Verse 18. They, talking about people far from God, they are darkened in their understanding. You know what that means? Lost people act lost. And let me say this. If you've been in church for a long time, guess what? Lost people act lost. I don't know why church people, especially in the South, expect unsaved people to act like Christians. And I don't care whether you legislated it or not. It's not an outside-in thing. It's an inside-out thing. And lost people act lost, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. And guess what? If you look back at your life before you became a Christian, do you ever look back and go, God, what was I thinking? You know what you were thinking? You were thinking that you're the Lord of your life. So you would have done exactly what anybody who's Lord of their own life would do. Anybody look back at their life and have some serious regrets and say, what was I thinking? Anybody? Come on. Anybody testify? All right, me too. Me too. And that's what he's saying. So, so it makes sense that lost people act lost. Because they have a hardness of heart, they're alienated from God, they're darkened in their understanding. All of that is true. Verse 19. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. In other words, when you're the Lord of your own life, obviously you're going to do what you want to do with who you want to do it, when you want to do it. Why? Because you're the boss of you. That makes sense. Verse 20. But, but that is not the way you learned Christ. So what Paul is saying to the Ephesians is, I get it when lost people act lost, but you're in Christ. Why are you acting that way? Like something's supposed to change now. Like that's not, that's not who you are anymore. Like it, it, well, Jesus said it this way. Jesus said that you would know a tree by its what? Fruit. All right, front row on the right side is always more spiritual. Okay, so they know. Right. So if you walk up to a tree, how do you know what kind of tree it is? You look at the fruit and, and, and if it's got apples, it's an apple tree, Right. So you know a tree by its fruit. You know if it's a good apple tree, if it has good apples. You should write that down. That is brilliant, right? That's what you do. Now, that comes from the inside out, not the outside in. So if I pluck all the apples off and I nail them to a two-by-four, that does not make the two-by-four an apple tree. Now, that's religion. That's you got to attend and you got to memorize the stuff and you got to go on these trips and watch your mouth and dress up when you come to church. That's outside in. It does not make it an apple tree. And so if you were to take the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, you're a little impressed, aren't you? Ha-ha. So I learned it at that cruddy camp that I met Jesus at. Right? It was yum, yum, yum. It was a song. Anyway, if you take those things and you just try to act kinder, 
That doesn't make you a Christian. If you just try to have patience, how many of you ever just tried to be patient? Don't you come impatient with your patient pursuit? Don't you? Be like, I thought this would happen sooner. Ah. I heard a great comment. I heard a guy say, I never pray for patience, but I sure do pray people would hurry up. That was awesome, right? <laughs> so <clears throat> that, that's like an outside-in kind of deal. No, no, no. See, motivation matters. Motivation matters. That's what he's saying. Activity matters as a result of obedience. So did you know that the very same activities could either be offensive to God or they could be worship to God? That's what that means. That means that if you are serving here at our church, if you're on the serve staff and you're serving in the parking lot, at the door, wherever, okay, and you're doing that because you have such a heart of gratitude that God loved you so much that he gave his one and only son to die for you, and maybe in this place, either you're deepening your relationship with him or you're discovered your relationship with him for the very first time, and you think, I want other people to have the same experience I've had, and God, I love you so much, I don't mind getting here two hours early and helping serve, okay? And it's from that attitude of gratitude that is worship unto God. That is worship unto God. But if you do it from the other angle, if you think, oh, I know how to impress God, I'll serve and I'll make sure everybody sees me and I will come in early and if I do these things for you, God, I'll prove to you that I'm worthy of you saving me. That is offensive to God. You know how offensive it is? The Bible says that your righteous deeds are like filthy rags. That's Old Testament. Filthy rags in Hebrew. Literally, it's translated used menstrual cloth. Go ahead, tweet that, okay? That's what that is. Or you can go New Testament, when Paul says, I consider all these things, and he lists this list of good deeds that he did, if you try to use that to impress God, he says, I consider all that, the, your New Testament, our New Testament says rubbish. Nobody says rubbish unless you're British, right? It's scubulon is the word, and it means it's slang for animal dung. So I don't know anybody that steps in it and be like, oh my, I've stepped in rubbish. No, you're like, that's bull scubulon. That's what that is. That's what Paul says. You bring scubulon or filthy rags to the Lord and go, here you go, God. He goes, get out of my face. That's gross, both of them. So it's activity, activity. If you were trying to prove to God something by earning your own salvation, it's gross. That same activity that we can't tell, I can't tell your heart, but God can. But when it's rooted in the fact that your identity is changed, it's actually worship unto God. And if you really know him, if he really lives in you, if you've really surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ. Now, does that mean everything's perfect? Absolutely not. No perfect people. If you think you're perfect, please don't come to our church, okay? You'll jack it all up for all the rest of us, okay? Because it's by grace that we've been saved. But God is perfecting us. He is perfecting us. And when we surrender our lives, our activity will change. Love always drives action. It's got to result in action, or it's actually not love. Love is not a feeling, it's a verb. So all throughout Duval County this very week, there will be moms sitting in front of judges, and the judge will say, I got, we got to take your kids away from you. And the mom's going to say, but I love them in my heart. And the judge is going to reply, yes, but you're not loving them. You're not taking care of them, you're not feeding them, you're not protecting them from dangerous things, you're not protecting them from dangerous places. You see, if you really love like verb loved them, then you would do those things. And this is what Paul's saying. Um, this isn't the way you learned Christ. What you learned about Christ, it's not easy believism, all I gotta do is. And it's also not following a list of rules. But it's when your identity changes and you're in Christ, then the outside of you begins to change. Verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, there it is again, that in him phrase, 
as the truth is in Jesus. Again, when you're in Jesus, it's identity first. And when you get that identity right, then your activity begins to follow. And this is how you do that. Verse 22 says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desire. So that's the old you. So you got to put that off. Verse 23. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. All right? This process, the process of putting away the old you and putting on the new you, which is the righteousness of Christ, that process is called sanctification. All right? Sanctification. That means from the moment you receive Christ as your Lord to the day you die, you're supposed to by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he empowers you to give you some grace-driven effort to put away the old and to put on the new. You become more and more and more like him. Now, before that happened, the day you surrendered your life to Christ, so in this environment we say, hey, if you surrendered your life to Jesus, raise your hand. If you've done that and you received Jesus, you're justified. That means all your sins are paid for. You're adopted into his family. Your identity changes in that moment, okay? You're no longer a wretched, black-hearted sinner, but you are a full heir of God. You're a son, you're a daughter, and there's nothing you can do to take that away. And then from that moment to the moment you go to be with him face-to-face, then what we are to do is to take off the old and to put on the new. To take off the old and to put on the new. The, uh, the, the Puritans called it mortification and vivification, Mortification means that you kill the sin that is killing you. That's what it means. And here's what, here's what Jonathan Edwards said. He said, if you're not killing sin, then it's killing you. But most of us don't try to put sin to death. Most of us don't try to put our old ways and our old self to death. Most of us just try to tame our sin as if we could tame it. And then occasionally what happens is it rears up its ugly head and it bites us again. And we think, how did that happen? I thought I had that under control. Well, what you're supposed to do is put off that old self because it's a new you. And those old clothes don't fit anymore. You've got to put them away. It's kind of like this. About three weeks ago, I was in um, Sao Padre Island, Texas, preaching at this, at this high school camp. And I never travel alone, so I take JP with me to Sao Padre. He loves it. He thinks all of Texas is a water slide, okay? Well, he'd be so disappointed. So uh, I take him with me, and he's my travel companion, and I put him to work. I make him carry my bag and get my coffee, and, you know, he's like my security. It's awesome. And then, and then we just kind of throw out most of the rules, uh, you know, normal, like, good behavior rules that you need when you're raising children. And so I let him stay up as late as he wants. He can turn as many flips on the bed as he wants to. At one point, we put the beds close enough he could flip off of one onto the other. He had an ice cream brownie Sunday thing for dinner one night. You know, it's that kind of week. It's awesome. And then, within reason, I let him watch whatever he wants to watch on TV. And so what he really likes to watch is, um, like, when animals attack, animals going wild, anything where animals do bad things to people. He loves it. Okay, so there we go. And so I'm sitting up there, and I'm watching him, and he's watching this, and he's just enthralled. And so this show comes up, and it's uh, um, there's this lady selling shampoo, and she's, like, in a bikini petting a bear. Just, you know, here it is. I don't know what those three things have in common, but whatever. And then JP looks at me, and this is about the fifth or sixth incident, and JP looks at me and he goes, hey, Dad, doesn't she know that if she's on this show, you shouldn't pet bears, right? And I'm like, well, never mind. Okay, so, good idea, buddy, good idea. And then, is anybody surprised as to what's going to happen? No, the bear eventually is like, all right, we're doing this, and just grabs the little lady. She's 100 pounds, he's 1,000, and the trainer's trying to, like, pull the bear off of her. Come on, Fluffy, or whatever the thing's name is. Right? And it ain't happening. She's a mangled piece of mess. And then they interview the trainer, and the trainer's like, no one saw this coming. JP at eight goes, I did. 
saw it coming. Why? Because that's what bears do. They get hungry and they eat. Normally, they just eat like honey and whatever, right? But now, I'll just eat her because she's here. That's just what they do. Now, what you know what you should do with the bear, not, not literally, but sin is you take it out and you put a bullet in his head. You don't just try to tame it and pet it. And that's what we typically do with sin. But that's not putting off your old self. Some of us, our sanctification process is a little rough because we don't take sin seriously enough, okay? Now, here's, here's the truth. Here's why you should put those sinful things away. Here's why. Because that's not who you are anymore. It's just not who you are anymore. You're not. That you used to be dead and now you're alive. And the new you, like the reason you don't have to do the things you used to do is because you're not who you used to be if you're in Christ. Now, when you were in you and you were the Lord of your own life, yeah, eat, drink, be married, do whatever you want to do. If it feels good, do it. But now, if Jesus is the Lord of your life, then he's the only one that gets to tell you who you are. And so you begin to do the things that please him and you begin to put away those things that are not who you are in Christ. The best example I've ever seen of this is in the Bible, in John chapter 11, when Lazarus dies, and Jesus shows up, and his Lazarus' sisters are crying, like, where you been? He's like, don't worry, I got this. And then he cries with them for a minute, and then he walks up to the tomb, and they warn him. The sister, Martha, comes up to Jesus and says, hey, I want to warn you. If if you read the King James, it's awesome. She literally says, but Lord, he stinketh. That's what it says in the Bible, okay? And then he goes, that's fine. Roll away the tombstone, they roll it away, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. Now, Lazarus comes hopping out of the tomb. I mean, he's like, because they would, they would wrap him like in this 100 pounds of mummy suit, okay? And so he's, he's just hopping on out. And then Jesus says to him, take off your grave clothes. Why? Why should he take off his grave clothes? Is it because they stink? Well, that's true, and it'll probably be socially better for him if he doesn't smell like a dead guy for the rest of his life. He's dead for four days, which means he was like good and dead, okay? True, but that's not why. Or is it so he can move around and walk? Well, that's true, that'll happen, but that's not why. The reason why, the fundamental reason that he's got to take off his dead man's clothes is because he ain't dead. And, and living people don't wear grave clothes. And so when you were made alive in Christ, then what Christ says to you is put that sin away. Why? Because those clothes don't fit you anymore. You know how you be? That addiction, it doesn't fit you anymore, nor does it describe who you are. You are not an addict. Not if you're in Christ. Now, you may still struggle with your addiction, but that does not define, you are not an alcoholic. You love Jesus, you're his son, you're his daughter by his stripes. He has made you whole. Now, he may not take that addiction away until the day you die, but it doesn't define you anymore. I hope that makes sense. That, that you begin to do the things you do based on who you are. And that's what mortification is. That's putting those things behind you. So you don't have to do the stuff you do. You don't have to. Why? Because you were dead. And now you are alive in Christ so you can... Put off your old self. Now, do you have old habits? Yes, you have old habits. Are you still going to struggle and stumble and fall? Me too. There are several things I do that really look like the old me. So you just are honest about it. Look, that's an old habit because that's the old me. But the new me in Christ is, is not that. I'm not defined by those things anymore. So you do whatever it takes to put off the old self. And then there's vivification. That means to come to life. That's all it means. That you do the things in your world that help stir your affections for Jesus. That's what that means. And so, how do you take off the old and put on the new? He says it right here. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. 
The moment you got saved, the moment you got saved, you got a new heart. He took out your heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. Killed your old heart, put Jesus' heart where yours is, okay? So that changed. Your eternal destiny changed forever. Congratulations, you get to go to heaven. Your soul changed. The DNA of who you are changed. Your identity changed. You went from wretched, black-hearted sinner to son or daughter of God, okay? All that changed immediately. What didn't change is your mind. You got the same dumb mind you had right before you got saved. You know why? We live in a crooked and broken world. It's all the animal attack shows that we watch. It's your jacked up family that you lived in. It's just all of those things going here. And so what he says is a part of the way that you put on your new self is you got to renew this thing. You got to renew your mind. And the way you do that is you identify the old things, okay? You take those off and you put on the new things. Anybody in here that's ever like refinished hardwood floors, what do you do? You take off the old and you put on the new. If you've ever... Ladies and some of you fellas, if you've ever renewed your fingernail polish, right? You take off the old and then you put on the new. That's just what you do. And so what, a part of the way that what you do is you got to quit listening to the lies of this world and you got to begin to listen to who God says you are. You got to quit whisp, lisp, listening to the whispers of the enemy and you got to begin to listen to the truth of who God says you are. And so that's what it means. So for some of you, you know, we, we talked about this ad nauseum in the Song of Solomon series. Is that this world has told you that sex is just physical and, you know, just go ahead. It's not that big a deal. You're consenting adults. feels good. Go ahead. But the Bible says flee sexual immorality. So you've got to take that old thought of, well, you know, I'm grown. I'll do what I want. You've got to put that aside and you've got to begin to feed yourself and put on flee sexual immorality. For all other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. You're not your own. You're bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Why? For the sake of your marriage or future marriage? Yes, that's beneficial, but the, the root cause is it's about identity, that Christ died for you. Therefore, you live differently. Or some of you fellas, you know, looking at pornography and stuff, and you have this, this, this old school mindset of, well, I can read the menu as long as I don't order anything. That's dumb. Your wife is not a cheesecake. You understand? It's not, it doesn't fit. So you, you've got to renew your mind. Job 31.1. I've made a covenant with my eyes that I will not look lustfully after a woman. Do you know why Job had to make a covenant with his eyes? He had an eyeball problem, okay? God said he was the holiest man in the whole earth. Guess what that means, fellas? You're in trouble. You should probably memorize that verse so that you could renew your mind. I told you last week, when I began to hear the whispers of the enemy, you're not good enough, you don't, have, you don't have what it takes. If they knew where you came from, if they knew your current thought life, they wouldn't let you be the pastor, okay? When I begin to hear those whispers, I have to identify them. No, 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 that's the enemy speaking, and I have to go Romans 8, 1. Therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you see that? Or when I feel like complaining or arguing because we live in such an entitled society, right? When I feel like that, then I have to, I, I memorize Philippians 2.14. Do everything without complaining and arguing. You know I had to memorize that? Because guess what I love to do? Complain and argue. Usually at the same time. And I'm really good at it. I'm really, really, really good at it. And so I have to look at that. Even, even if I feel like, well, this is my fault, I have to look at it and go, okay, is what I want to complain and argue about, does it fall in the everything category? Ah, there it goes again. Okay, do you see what I mean? When Jesus was tempted in the desert... He responded to the devil all in every temptation with this. It is written. It is written. You got to have some it is written in your life. This is what Paul is talking about. Is that your identity has changed. Now you've got to begin to renew your mind with the one who changed your identity so that your activity can begin to look like it. In other words, if, until you change your perspective and begin to see who you are as God sees you, 
then and only then will the things in your life begin to change. And so Paul, I think, does all of that so that we would be ready to go through the specifics. And he kind of closes it up with this, that, that, that you, in Christ, have been created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That in Christ, you are righteous and holy. And you're like, well, I don't feel righteous and holy. You don't look righteous and holy. But in Christ, you are. We're going to find out in Ephesians 6 that, that we put on the breastplate of righteousness. It's a beautiful picture of Christ's imputed righteousness unto us. You've seen the breastplate, right? Perfect peck, perfect abs. When I take that breastplate and I put it on, guess what you would see? Perfect peck, perfect abs. If I take off this shirt, that is not what you'd see. You'd be like, ooh, I don't like that church. Okay, I understand. I understand. So when, when you put on Christ, when you receive Christ, then his righteousness gets put on you. And that means when you screw up, because you probably stumble and fall, we all will. You still struggle with sin? Me too. All right, I do too. And then when you really get the gospel and you know that your identity has changed and you screw up, then you know, I don't have to run from God because he's not disappointed in me. I can run to him because he's already paid for my sin. You don't have to pull the Adam and Eve and go hiding in the garden naked and ashamed and try to sow fig leaves. That's not what you have to do. That you can actually run to your heavenly father knowing that God is not disappointed in you. He's not disappointed in you. Now, you, you might disappoint other people, but disappointment, disappointment means that somebody's a little surprised that you didn't do what they thought you were going to do. You've never surprised God. Okay? You've never have. God did not wake up this morning. One, he never sleeps, but if he did, he doesn't wake up this morning and go, she did what? Are you kidding? Oh, gosh. I never saw that coming. Never. Never. Some of you right now, you feel guilty right now. You do. You're sitting in here, you're like, oh, no, I'm still a little hungover. And I tried to make the nine, and I couldn't make it, and I'm at 1122. Or some of you at 522, you just woke up. So, good morning. Uh, He knew. He knew. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm just saying he knew, and he chose you anyway. So you've got to be rooted in that gospel before we get into verse 25. Because when I hit 25, it's going to look like I'm all over the place, and I am going to be all over the place. But the, but the, but the theme here is that, is that you're saved by grace through faith, not by anything that you've done. That's Ephesians 2.8. But when you get to, to Ephesians 2.10, but you have been saved to good works. You have been saved so that the exterior of your life changes based on what happened on the interior of your life. So, here, is some, here are some specifics that he hits. Verse 25, he goes, therefore. Now, since we got the gospel, everybody understand the gospel? Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each, of, each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. You know what he's saying? All right, so if you're in Christ, quit lying. Why do you lie so much? And I would ask you to raise your hands, but you'll lie about it. You're liars, aren't you? I mean, I'm such a liar. I can be such a liar. You ever just find yourself still lying about things that don't even matter? Do you? You just, cha- like, they, you tell stories and they didn't even really happen, but you've been telling them so long and lying for so long that you just actually believe, yeah, I was there. I think I remember this. But then the people in your story, like, I don't even remember that happening. Oh, because I made that up, but I've been telling it for 10 years. Dang it. I'm a liar. We just lie about stuff. Or we lie about things that don't matter. Your wife calls you, hey... What are you doing? I'm just heading home. Liar, you're on aisle four at Lowe's. You're not even planning on coming home. You just change that. And it'd be no problem if you're like, I'm at Lowe's. That's, we just have a propensity to lie. The other, and here's, here's the problem. The problem is not, is it better sociologically if nobody ever tells lies? Sure it is, but that's not the problem. The root cause is this. 
is, is Paul saying, you're acting like Jesus isn't your Lord. You're acting like that, that person's opinion of you is your Lord. So quit doing that. Put away falsehood. Just tell the truth. Why? Because your identity is in Christ, not in your neighbor's opinion of you. That's why he also says, and tell the truth to your neighbor. Because the reason you're avoiding conflict with people, same thing. You're acting like the opinion of your neighbor is your Lord. And, and God may be showing you some, some blind spots in your, in your neighbor's life, but you're keeping your mouth shut because you're, you're too scared of what they think. You see, it's, a, it's an identity problem. Now, period. Shifts gears. Going to talk about something else. This is a list. He's going to walk, walk through some things that, that should look like Jesus is our Lord. Verse 26. He says, be angry. I'm so glad that is in the Bible. Okay? When I drive down JTV, when I'm in any line in my whole life, I mean, I'm the guy that when I'm driving on the interstate, if there's a car in front of me, I feel like I'm losing. That's just how I live, okay? That's, pray for me. Be angry. You know what that means? It's going to happen. Look around. Look around, okay? Some of you are mad because somebody sat in your seat. All right, you don't have a seat. But we're going to be angry, all right? But there's a way to do something about it. Be angry and don't sin. Don't sin. So you can be angry. You can have some emotion and then not sin about it. And don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Um... What this means, I love the way that that last little bit is translated in the King James Version, okay? It says, and don't give the devil a foothold. So what that means is, as Christians, at church even, when we live together, we're going to tick each other off. But reconcile and forgive quickly. Why? Because if you don't, if you go to sleep still kind of aggravated in somebody, it's going to grow and grow and grow and grow. And, And you'll give the devil a foothold. Here's what a foothold is. How many of you had little brothers or sisters that you terrorized? Anybody? I do. I do. I do. I love telling this. Okay. Here's what this means. Sometimes in my terrorizing of my younger brother, I would chase after him and he would run. He was not much of a runner away from me, but he would usually stand and fight. But occasionally I would go after him and he would run. And he'd run down the hallway and I'm chasing him down the hallway. And then he would get into his room before I could get there. And he would go to slam the door and I'd go, pow, Jackie Chan, get one foot in the door. Got it? Now the, the, the opening is not big enough for me to get all the way in, but I got a foothold. That's all I need. That's all I need. Because over time, with my persistence, I could get through there and then, dom- and then terrorize, okay? So that's what the enemy wants to do with you. You get that one little bit of unforgiveness, of unreconciliated relationship, and the devil's like, boom, got it. Because what, ain't, what he can do is with that little sliver, he can begin to isolate, 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 and then separate people from the body of Christ. And then in Peter, the Bible says that the devil is like a, a prow- he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Who gets devoured? That little gimpy one on the edge, right? That, that my daughter loves to watch animal shows too, but she likes it when they all get along like happy feet. She didn't, you know, like the National Geographic. And so she'll be flipping channels and be like, ooh, zebra, I love zebra. And then you see that one zebra and it ain't doing good. And then we're like, turn it, turn it, turn it. It's not going well for the zebra, turn it. <laughs> Yeah, why? Because the lion never attacks the middle of the herd. He attacks the one that has been separated and isolated. So that, that's what Paul's talking about. And most of the time, many, many churches, many of the reason that you landed here is because you got separated and isolated in your last church. Hey, look, if you're beaten up, broken, bruised, we want to put you in the middle. We want to put you in the middle. Because the, the enemy never gets you out of the middle. And so that's what he's saying. So the reason, it's about identity, okay? It's about identity in Christ. He goes on to say this, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal... But rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So both the thief and the greedy person have the same root problem. Here's the problem. It's an identity problem. You're acting like God got it wrong. If you steal something, even if it's like software and you didn't buy the license for it, okay? Well, you can say ouch or amen, but that might be something we need to do differently. 
that, that what you're saying is, God, you got it wrong. You gave it to him instead of me, so I'm going to play your job, and I'm going to go get it for me. That's what that is. Like the greedy is the same thing. Oh, God, you, you know, you got it wrong. I'm not supposed to share and be generous like you are. I need to keep it all for me. It's an identity problem. It keeps going. And again, do you see how every one of these, there's like a big period, a shift of gears. Now we're going to talk about something else. Verse 29. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up, as fits the occasion, that might be the most important part, that it may give grace to those who hear it. In other words, listen to this, Christian. Did you know that just because something's true doesn't mean you need to say it, right? Hey, do these pants make me look big? No, your butt does. Now, is it true? It could be. It could be. It does not fit the occasion, all right? Maybe there's another time that you can encourage an exercise program or whatever, all right? Walk gently. But that's, the point is not just, is it true or not? But it's an identity. It's an identity issue. If you are in Christ, then you would speak to other people the way Jesus would speak to people. And that's to build them up. It literally means don't use empty words. It means you don't just say meaningless stuff to people. We're going to talk about that one more in a second because it comes back up. Verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. In other words, I don't have time to fully explain that, but part of what he's saying is here, God saved you, not just so that you would go to heaven when you die one day, but so that you could have this abundant life. So don't just play church. God has so much more in store for you when you can begin to walk in the freedom of the identity of a son or daughter of God. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So Paul essentially here is like, hey, you know how you get angry with people? Mm -hmm. You know how you you hold a grudge against people? Yeah. You know how you just get so aggravated when she walks in the room? Mm -hmm. Stop. That's what he says. Well, how do you do that, Paul? How do you just put that away? It's like trying to sleep. It just, you can't sleep. makes it worse. How? Verse 32, here's how. Here's how we should treat one another. Be kind to one another. I should probably memorize this. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. And then if you go, yeah, but God, but that's not fair. But if I forgive them, then they might get away with it, okay? And then he goes, I thought you'd say that. So he follows up with this, as God in Christ forgave you. If you'll remember to the very first of the seven deadly sin series, we talked about wrath, bitterness, and anger. And that forgiveness is the gift that God has given you as a tool that releases all malice and rage and, and anger and, and wrath in your life. And why? It's an identity issue. The reason you should forgive is because Christ forgave you. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now, one of the things all throughout the epistles, that's just the, the, the small New Testament books that Paul wrote, um, one of the things you'll find here is whenever Paul starts talking about holy living or what, what looks like a list, like, hey, hey, watch your mouth. Quit drinking so much. You know, quit stealing. Those kind of things. Then he'll kind of shift it back into neutral and go, no, 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 no. I know I've been talking about the way you should live, activity. So let me just remind you about identity so that you don't think it's a do-better kind of, kind of gospel. Verse, chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Okay? Be imitators of God as beloved children. So this was awesome. I had the service just a little while ago. My daughter was on the front row. She rarely comes to the service because we have such amazing you know, kids ministry, but she wanted to hear mama sing and mama's up there singing and I could watch Reagan Capri mimic mama on stage. That's what she was doing. And so I was holding her hand for a while. She let go. And when mama did this, she would do this. And when mama did this. And she was just mimicking her mom. So that's what, oh, I know it's awesome. Isn't it? But listen, that's what it's saying. Therefore, be imitators of God. He's your heavenly father. So, and you're his kids. 
So the more time you spend with him, the more you get to know his character, the more you know him, just, just begin to act like him as beloved children. Verse 2, and walk, that just means live your life. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In other words, don't think this is about activity. Don't forget it's about identity. And now he's going to go back to the list in verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Uh Uh-oh, we're in trouble. Verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Let me talk about this one for a second. Those words really mean empty speech. And in both places where he talks about language, he talks about environment. And so what he's saying is that the meaning behind your words matter. Because if Christ is in you, then you don't tear each other down, you build each other up. But let me just encourage you, but environment matters. If you listen to the dudes on staff talk to one another, ladies, you would think we hate each other. But it's actually terms of endearment. Like if I went up to Pastor Stone and said, Stone, you are so kind and tender-hearted and forgiving. He would say, are you firing me? I mean, that's what he would do. What happened, right? But if I tell you, I can't tell you what I would call him right here. Because it, but in our relationship, it's like, thanks, man. You guys know if you play sports in the locker room, there's just a way you build one another up. And then empty words actually can tear people down. And so... So environment matters. In fact, you know that you could actually, you could actually um, bless people with cuss words and cuss people with words of blessing. Do you, re- you know that happens? So, man, I opened up a can of worms on, at 722, but it's several times here at our church, because we're a movement for all people, and God's doing a work on somebody that hadn't been around church and, and hadn't learned how you're supposed to act yet. And so they'll, they'll come to this church, and this happens several times. It's usually dudes, and they come down at the end of the service, and I'm standing right here just kind of hanging out with people, and guys will come down, and you can tell the Lord's just wearing them out, man, just wearing them out. And they're like, you know, breathing's weird, trying not to cry because they work out, they have hobbies, you know, they're tough. And then they're like, Pastor Joey, that was an effing awesome sermon. But they don't say effing, they just say the whole thing. And I'm like, whoa, there you went, okay? Now, I kind of look around. Anybody else hear that? Okay, you know. But here's the thing. But with the vocabulary that person has and what they're used to talking about, what they were really saying was just that is not empty words. I'm trying to tell you that was awesome. They actually blessed me with cuss words. Now, you can go the other direction. My grandma was here a couple weeks ago. And if she comes up to you and says, bless your heart, She's actually, she's actually damned you to hell. That's what she's done. That's what she's done. She is, it's like the worst thing she, the only hope for you is if God does something in your heart. That's what she's saying. And so you can see, it's not even about the, the actual words. Although I would say, you know, please do not come up at the end of the service and, and use the F-bomb. Please, please, please. Okay. But, but, but what he's saying here is it, it's about motivation. It's about identity. Verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure... Or who is covetous, that's an idolater, that's every single one of us in the room, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. Okay, this is big. Here's what he's saying. Nobody gets to tell you who you are except Jesus. Nobody. And you're going to hear two things, primarily two things. Some of you are going to hear, hey, you were really bad, or you are a bad person. And, and it's not true. It's not true. You're not a bad person. You're, if you don't know Christ, you're a dead person. And that's actually good news. Because if you were to hear, you're bad, and you're so bad, you've done so many bad things, I don't know if you can ever do enough good things that God will pick you for his team. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Do not be deceived by that. 
it's good news to hear that you're, you're dead and God is in the resurrection business. And of course you did those things. Me too. We all did. Because you did the best you did, the best you could do with whatever information you had. Well, now you've got some new information that God loves you and, and he, wants to, he wants to change you from the inside out. So you're not just a bad person that needs to do better. You're a, you are a dead person and Christ can make you alive in him and change you from the inside out. The other thing that you may hear is this, and you, you'll kind of believe this, that Jesus saved you about 80% of the way, but the next 20% is up to you. That, that Jesus, in his grace, took the ball on the kickoff, got you all the way down for, to like the two-yard line. It's first and goal. You get four tries. And if you can make it to the end zone, congratulations, you're in. That is a lie from the pit of hell. That is a lie from the pit of hell, okay? It's not. He saves you all the way. Some of you feel like he invited you to the party, but if you don't keep doing good, you're going to get shooed out. Lie from the pit of hell. Nobody gets to tell you who you are except Jesus. You're not your past. You're not your temptation. You're not your addiction. You're not your orientation. You are none of those things that have, that have been done to you. Or you're not even the things that you've done, the good things or the bad things. But if you are in Christ, all of that has changed. And so he says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Verse 7, therefore... Don't become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you were light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. One of the things this means is this, is that Environment matters, and many of you, because now you are in Christ, you've got to change your environment. You just have to. And I'll just say it this way, too. Some of you have to change your friends, and that's not just for our student section. That's for adults, too. Some of you have got to change your friends because they are deceiving you with the lies and the junk that you hear from them. And, and this is, I know this is hard, and here's the pushback I get always. Yeah, but Jesus hung out with the sinners. Okay, a couple things. One, you're not Jesus. I mean, you're not, right? Now, he's in you. But here's the thing. If you start doing the things that Jesus did when he goes to the party, then you're probably called to the party. Jesus would go to the party and he would heal people and people's lives would be changed and he would preach the gospel and miracles would happen. You go to the party and you get drunk and dance without your shirt. It's not the same thing, okay? That is not your mission or ministry, okay? So here's what it comes down to. It just comes down to influence. If you're being the influence, then you're probably living on mission for Christ to help be a part of this movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus. If you are the one being influenced, then you're not ready to be that environment, in that environment, okay? Because you don't want them to put your light out. And so you've got to change environments. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper. In other words, wake up, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Verse 15, look carefully then at how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So for some of you people that want to dig deeper and go deeper, Andy Stanley writes a book on this verse. I don't know how you do a whole book on one verse. He's super smart. He did. It's called this. It's called the best question ever. And what he says is the question is not what's right or wrong, but what's the wise thing to do? He he takes it right out of this verse. Look carefully at how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And 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 then he gets specific again. And don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. I should probably say this one out loud to our congregation. Don't get drunk. Don't get drunk. And some of you are like, I don't don't drink wine. I drink bourbon. My liberal interpretation, same thing, okay? Because you have an identity problem. 
The identity is, Jesus, you're not enough. I need this as an escape. And so the problem is not the drink. The problem is what it says about you. So don't do that, right? That, that Jesus could be more than enough. And then this is how we treat one another. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks, thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. When Jesus was asked what's the greatest commandment of all, he said this. Two things. Love God, love each other. That's what Paul's saying here. Love God. That you be thankful and grateful and you love God. All your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you love each other. 59 times in the Bible, the phrase one another is used. Like love one another, bear with one another, pray for one another. And then here it says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Why? Why do we... You know what submit means, by the way? We're going to talk about it a lot next week. Submit just means I make your deal more important than my deal. That's all submit is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make your deal like it's a bigger deal than my deal. That's what it means. And so why do we do this? Because we're submittable to? Absolutely not. But Christ submitted to us on the cross. He made our deal, sin, more important than his deal, heaven. He was in heaven. He was doing just fine without us. Came down and made our sin problem a big deal for him. Now, why do we do that? That's what Christ did for us. But he didn't just set an example. If you're in Christ, he lives in you. And then the Christ in you begins to do on the outside things that are going on on the inside. That's the whole point. That's what identity is about. So this past week, I got a, I got a text from one of our staff members and said, the Holy Spirit is stirring something in me that I want to do for um, one of our new 1122 family members. And with very little information, I just went, go for it, because he's got the Spirit and i got the Spirit, and so if the Spirit tells you to do something, you do it. And I want you to watch this short video to watch what it looks like for the Spirit in you to begin to do things on the outside of you that's a result of what he's been doing on the inside of you. Check this out. Every week we pray through the prayer cards. And this week as I was praying through them, God did something really special in my life. Uh, I've been a pastor for 12 years and God has never grabbed my heart in the same way that he did this week. As I was praying over the cards, I stumbled onto Melanie's story and God just began to tell me that he wanted to use me to help answer her prayers. And as we began to learn more about Melanie's story, we began to hear a story of, of perseverance and Melanie was new to 1122, new to Jacksonville, has two boys, three and five years old. And we began through conversation with Melanie to learn and identify some areas where she has some needs that we could step up and give her some help up. I moved out here with my son's father. Um, it was an abusive relationship, physically and emotionally, and I actually went into a, a rehab because I was suicidal, very broken, hopeless. And um, one of the guys there, his girlfriend brought me there on a weekend pass. And there's something there that when you walk in, when the pastor's up there crying because he can relate to the message and he's lived it and he can talk about things, you know he's not just preaching at you, but he's, he's passing it along. And that's what, that's what got me because I want to be a part of that.
Over the last 48 hours, we have seen an incredible outpouring of generosity. We've got new stuff, donated stuff. We're packing it all up, about to drive over to Melanie's house to bless her and her two boys. I cannot wait to see what happens. So what's gonna happen is I'm gonna walk out here with her, we'll introduce her to everybody. We've told her your family's in the parking lot waiting on you. This is a huge deal for her. I just want you to just for one, like, forget about your role in this whole thing and think about hers. I was shaking. I was embarrassed. I didn't want people to come in the house. I wanted you guys to come in. I was scared. When I saw him and saw he was actually here, this is real, like this is really going on and you don't think when you ask for something what you're asking for and then when it happens it's like I was throwing out a life vest like looking hoping somebody grabbed it and somebody did more than one person <laughs> it's amazing like when when he came in and talked and made the, the words that you guys are all like warm and welcome and we're all we all have our story and to hear that it's okay to like be like that people say it but then um do they really mean it and i saw like people mean it tonight and that nobody judged I sat there and I thought about it and I put the card down. I looked around, like, is anybody gonna see me write this? I thought, if you, do you ask for stuff like this or do people talk about stuff like this? Is somebody gonna look at me like, what's this girl doing? My prayer request is new to, new to this church, new to Jacksonville, Florida, moved here from Las Vegas. I've been attending and I'm loving it. I feel I really fit in here. My faith is getting bigger and stronger. I'm very, very thankful for this church. Question, I, I looked online at a website and to see about is there any type of donation services. I've been trying to do things on my own. I'm raising my kids and working. I don't have extra money. I don't have extra money to get things like beds for them. Things that an apartment needs. Um, okay. Any type of used or new furniture. Um, just to work it off even. Not looking for money. Anything like that within the... Is there anything like that within the church family? Um, two bedroom, two bath. You don't think that God sees it, but when you put stuff out there and this many people come, God sees it. Would you guys please welcome our friend, Melanie. <clears throat> hey, 
So the whole, the whole point is this. The whole point is, is that how you live is a result of who lives in you. So here's, here's the biggest thing I want you to hear about her story. Is that, is that um, the hero of the story is not Melanie, even though it takes a tremendous amount of humility to say, hey, I need a little help. And it takes even more courage to stand up here and say, hey, I'm not looking for pity, just friends. And she's in the family, okay? But she's not the hero of the story. And Pastor Britt isn't the hero of the story. And all those weepy men in the video are not the hero of the story. But Jesus is the hero of the story. Amen? Amen and amen. Hey, would you please stand to your feet as we pray? Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, Jesus, you are the hero of our story. God, thank you so much that you loved us enough to do something that you gave, that you came, that you showed up. And that we could change and that we could do and we could be different on the outside because of what you've done on the inside. God, I, I pray that you would remind the people in this room right now that know you and you live in them, but they're sliding into old habits. That, that, that's old habits and, and the old stuff can disappear and they can walk in a newness of life in you. God, I thank you and I praise you that we don't have to perform for you to be accepted, but because of your performance on the cross, you demonstrated your love for us and that we are accepted. God, I pray that there might be a person in this very moment and this is the moment they surrender to you and their identity has changed. God, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would comfort, you would convict, you would do in us whatever it is you would have with us this day. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we respond every single week. We respond by bringing our tithes and offerings. Do that in the giving boxes. Do it on our app, however you want to do it. You can respond that way. You can respond by coming to the altar. Some of you need to do that. So we need to put off the old self and just leave it right up here, okay? We'll clean it up when you go. And then some of us need to respond, all of us do, by joining our voices together and responding to God for who He is and what He's done. Let us respond.